This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm Molly Gamble with Becker's and delighted to have you join us for another episode filled with insights from health system leaders. Today, from Matt Love, President and CEO of Nicholas Children's Health System. Matt, welcome to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. How are you today, and where does the podcast find you? Hi, Molly. Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, I'm actually down here in uh, sunny South Florida, down here in Miami at Nicholas Children's Hospital. Wonderful. For listeners who are less familiar with Nicholas Children's, can you share a few key facts about the organization, Matt, so our listeners can better appreciate your perspective throughout our conversation today? Yeah, great. Yeah, we are, you know, we're a, a freestanding, specially licensed children's hospital down here in South Florida. We're one of four in the state. Um, we have about 309 beds in lots of different locations, uh, 28 or 30 different outpatient inventory locations. Um, we do a lots of different things around um, around South Florida and in Florida. Uh, we're going to probably get close to a million patient visits this year um, across all of our centers, our busy ED, urgent carers, a medical group, all of those types of things. And there's lots of things that, you know, we're proud of and of achieving, you know, leapfrog on the quality side, U.S. News, um, most loved workplace. So overall, it's a pretty robust and comprehensive pediatric healthcare system. And, and Matt, we're speaking toward the end of 2023, right toward the beginning of 2024. And at this time, you always see a lot of articles come out, not only in healthcare, but industry-wide with projections of what the year ahead will hold and predictions. And sometimes I think it's easier to take a moment and reflect on the year that was. Um, in doing so, you know, what would you point to as the most significant change that your system experienced or underwent in 2023? If if you were to look back on this year, a few years from now, what do you think were some big mile markers of note? You know, I think when we look back on, on 2023, just as an industry in total, right, we're going to say, wow, um, we made it through that that year, right? There was so much turbulence, so much unknown. Um, and, and we're, you know, we're in the same boat. Uh, but, you know, from an achievement perspective, you know, Nicholas Children's is in a very, very strong position, a very strong place. Um, you know, so maybe three real quick ones, right? One is, you know, operational excellence. You know, this is about doing things this, the same way, we, you know, over and over and over, day in, day out, every week, every month. And that, that goes all the way from, you know, throughput in the organization, um, left without being seen in, in the ED, we have really hit on all cylinders along those lines. You know, I like to point out our left without being seen in 2022 was, you know, north of 7 or 8%. We are routinely less than 1%, uh, one or two patients a day at the most. And so that, that dull nagging pressure on operational excellence um, has been so successful for us uh, over the course of this year. You know, and then I have to talk about workforce, right? In, in today's environment, workforce challenges, workforce opportunities, we see them every day. We read about them every single day. We've done a lot of investments in terms of our nursing and our support staff and our physicians. Um, we've done a lot of pipeline work. We've done a lot of uh, retention work with our September to Remember events and those types of things, month-long celebrations. Our turnover is six basis points less than everybody else in the state. Um, and so those, those are paying off. So I'm very, very happy 
uh, and thrilled with our, our successes on investing in our people, right? We're a people organization. Um, and then lastly, you know, it's around growth for us. Um, year over year, you know, I, I look across the industry and, and think about, you know, growth and, and organizations that are shrinking. You know, Nicholas Children's, we're going to grow 17% year over year. Um, I think that's unheard of in our industry right now. Um, that's programmatic growth. That's geographic growth, you know, in our clinical institutes, heart, neuro, ortho, and cancer, um, as well as some things around the service lines like uh, mental health and behavioral health. We doubled our inpatient capacity this year in our inpatient uh, psychiatric unit um, in the Haggerty Family Behavioral Health Unit. That's a, a wonderful thing for our community. No kids are waiting in our ED anymore uh, or being transferred out. Um, in the past, we used to transfer out, for example, um, almost two patients per day um, out of our emergency room to other uh, mental health behavioral health facilities. That number has been zero since we opened up our unit. So lots of growth for us here in South Florida. So three big things are operational excellence, the workforce, and then growth, which was the last point you elaborated on. But if I were to go back to the operational excellence piece, you know, it's funny, Matt, as you were describing that about the left without being seen rate going from about seven to 8% or higher to now you said routinely less than 1%. I was bracing myself for a years long effort for that improvement. Um, something that would occur over, you know, two to three years. You, you mentioned that was accomplished in one. Can you point to any one thing that had outsized impact in getting that number and pushing that number down in, in a pretty, in a relatively concise time frame? Yeah, you know, you know, there was a couple things that drove it. You know, one was awareness around, you know, the issue, right? Um, first point is we have to acknowledge and we have to be able to figure out how to change it. And so empowering our physician leaders in the ED, empowering our chief medical officer, Dr. Mestre, to really roll up the sleeves and get things done. And then there's this newer term that I've introduced down here called uh, DNP, uh, dull nagging pressure, right? So daily phone calls, what are the barriers um, to success? What are the opportunities? You know, what are the successes that we had in the last day? Every single day, right? Just kind of drilling that home and showing people how important it is. Um, and I put it into perspective, right? We're, we're gonna see 100,000 kids in our ED this year. Um, one leaving that came here for help is one too many. And so if you put it in that perspective, you know, the caregivers, the nurses, the doctors, the registrars, they actually start to see it. And it's like, if it was your child, what would, what would it be like? And so, you know, the typical things, wait times and, and service excellence and recovery, putting all those into place very quickly because we were all motivated, we were all aware, um, and we all wanted the same outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. BNP dull nagging pressure. I, I think that's, I, I had a leader, I, I have a leader who I think the term they use is just agitating for greatness, just, you know, tireless efforts and recognition of how important this is, where things stand today, where they need to be. Um, it sounds like that they might be synonymous, DNP and, and that term. Would you say it's a fair read? I think that's a fair read, yes. Yeah. Well, I also wanted to talk a bit about the strategic plan at Nicholas. I, the strategic plan dates 2023 to 2025. That's two years. And in that vein, I've heard from health system leaders like you, Matt, that there are merits to such incremental strategic planning right now, that two to year, two to three year timeframe opposed to five, 10 years, because that timeframe can just be so challenging given the amount of change. Do, do you share that view? What, what makes strategic planning especially challenging right now? How can leaders make sure their strategic planning is going more effectively? Any thoughts there? 
Yeah, you know, strategic planning, um, you know, it's both art and science. And, you know, I've been doing this quite some time, and I remember the days where you had a five- to seven- or eight-year strategic plan. Um, and, you know, over the last couple of years, the last five to eight years, I would guess, is that's really shrunk. And so we did our first three-year strategic plan um, as we were coming out of the pandemic. Um, and it was really around foundational stuff, you know, kind of regrounding, refocusing on things. Um, so a kind of a foundational or fundamental strategic plan. You know, we finished that a year early, and then we did it in terms of a growth plan that we started um, earlier this year. So I do believe this three-year planning cycle um, has to be nimble, um, has to be quick to respond to environmental changes. If you do a five-year plan, I think you're going to get kind of stuck into the, well, well that was the plan. We need to chase that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to get comfortable with, with change, right, um, and embrace it and really drive that uh, on a go-forward basis. Anything less than three years is really an operating plan. And mm. so I think there's a sweet spot right there in the middle. Um, I kind of look at it like uh, Lewis and Clark. You know, remember the explorers from the 1800s? You know, we know what our North Star is, right? They were heading west to find water. Um, and from a pediatric perspective, it's, you know, how do you take care of kids? And if you keep that into focus, that's not going to change over 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Um, but that planning process has to be fluid and flexible uh, to respond to those environmental and external forces. Mm-hmm. I'll correct myself there. When I said 2023 to 2025, three years, not two, um, I guess, Matt, there's a reason I went into writing, right? As a, as a okay. career field. So um, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and within that strategic plan, you know, there was a quote that I think a lot of children's hospitals, especially independent ones like yours, and that have um, the prowess that Nicholas does, there was a line in there about this goal and this admirable aim for parents around the world being able to get answers from Nicholas that they cannot find elsewhere. And I was curious to check in with you about this because that seems like a universal aim and one that every employee of the system would be on board with, but also one that can be challenging to measure and quantify. How do you assess this? How do you assess the diagnostic power of Nicholas and and understand whether parents, families, children are, are getting more answers than not from your organization? You know, we look at it really from from two two perspectives. One is the macro level, and that's really is is you know, are we making this change? How are we making this change in pediatric healthcare? And I think there's lots of stuff that gets written around on that, um, but I really like to bring it down to, to the micro level, right? So this this is about one patient at a time, mm-hmm. right? Those patients that come to us for answers, you know, how do we provide it back to to the patient and to their family? Um, you know, that impact has to be made patient by patient. And so when you think about, you know, when your child is sick and you just want answers, um, it may not be the answer you like or that you want, um, but this ability to, to have this conversation and provide an answer and then a direction, right? Because there are so many illnesses, there's so many diseases that there's cures for or treatments for um, and bringing, a, bringing that close to home. And so we measure it. I like to measure it, you know, patient by patient, uh, talking with families and hearing those stories about how we save their child's life. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the difference. Um, we can see a million kids, but saving one of those kids' lives—that's really what—that that's meaningful. Right, right. And how important too for you to be 
collecting those stories and catching them where you can and as as you do, and then be able to share those with the whole and the broader team um, and, and elevate those stories, of course, with the right permissions in place, but to the broader care team, understand that you know they might only see one sliver of the pie, but to better understand the ways that families are experiencing care at Nicholas, that's so important to have front and center. I agree with you 100%. You know, I wanted to get a little bit more specific, if you'll let me, on one of the capabilities at Nicholas Children's, and that is it's one of the first hospitals in the U.S. to pilot whole genome sequencing as a new standard of care. Um, and one advancement that played a big part in this in this effort was the Project Baby Manatee in Florida. Can you, the name caught me, and mantis are one of my favorite animals. It sounds interesting. Matt, can you describe this project, its aims, and then its results, where it stands today? Because I found this to be, um, in looking up more and more about Nicholas, something that came up quite a bit. Um, tell our listeners about it. Yeah, so, you know, uh, we're at Children's Hospital, so we always like to have really nice and cool names. And so I agree with you. Baby manatee, manatee is just a wonderful, wonderful way to characterize it. Um, so, I, you know, this is about taking, you know, science, you know, uh, into reality, into patient care. And so baby mantis really explores, you know, the health and the cost benefits of, of whole genome sequencing from, from beginning to end. And so a lot of times we would look at things episodically, right? So how much does this test cost? How much does that test cost? How long does it take to get these tests? And so this program really um, brought the science back to the bedside. And so our ability to work and pull a genome, whole genome sequencing out and be able to provide those answers more quickly um, to parents uh, and provide direction and treatment and whether you know, we're able to avoid treatment or whether we're able to, to change the treatment um, along those lines more quickly. You know, what used to take six or seven months now takes six or seven days to, to be able to get that information. And really what's cool about Florida is um, last year, through our legislative efforts um, across the state, um, we were able to, to get funding um, through the Medicaid program for this test. Mm. And so think about it. Before that, this test was not available to the majority of kids in the state of Florida. And through the Andrew Johnson uh, Anderson Rapid Whole Gene Sequencing Program, you know, it is. It is now part of uh, the state of Florida, and it's being reimbursed because they saw the benefit in the long run around the cost-benefit ratio on on this program. And just to link my latest two questions together, Matt, have you heard any testimonials or reactions from families who now have access to this form of sequencing? Yes. Yeah, so I've talked to uh, um, one parent. Um, who was, you know, came to us and talk, was talking with our physicians and was so thankful um, being able to change the treatment uh, for their very specific things. Um, and they had heard through their grapevines because, you know, these parents talk. Um, mm -hmm. There's lots of communication. Um, and, you know, another parent had waited seven or eight months. And so she was just so thrilled to be able to change the care and change the direction of, of the care of her child much more quickly versus waiting months and months. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable for, for, you said seven to eight months to, was it seven to eight days? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Well, Matt, I want to thank you for for being my guest, for walking us through the the latest Project Baby Manatee for listeners who might not have been aware of that effort, for telling us about some of the big changes that have been taking place at Nicholas Children's, those operational workforce and growth plans uh, in the years to come. Um, Anything else you'd like to make mention of or leave our listeners with? Yeah, I just want to, you know, thank you for your time and also want to thank, you know, pediatric healthcare takes a village. And so the nurses, the physicians, all the support staff here at Nicholas Children's um, do a tremendous job. And, and every single person loves what, what they do here. Um, and our, re- our goal really is to take care of kids so they don't have to leave Florida for care, right? They can stay right here in Florida to get the best care. So I wanted to thank all of them because without them, this place would not be able to do the magic it does. Matt Love, President and CEO of Nicholas Children's Health System. I want to wish you a strong end to 2023 and a strong start to the next year ahead. Thank you so much for being our guest on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there.